The following program is sponsored by the friends and partners of Cloud Witness Church. What I'm saying is God will not drag you to the courthouse. You have family members, right? Do they take you to court when there's a dispute? No. Do they call the cops on you when there's a dispute? No. Likewise, the Father doesn't bring you into righteous court anymore. He's, Jesus is sitting there in his righteous court for you. So no, of course God deals with your behavior, but not like under the law where God operated as judge. No, now he deals with your behaviors by Father. That's why Jesus said, pray like this, our Father. So listen, beloved, don't self-punish. God doesn't want you self-punishing. We have an epidemic of that. That's pride, man. It's not humble to punish yourself. Humility is, I don't deserve this, but I receive it anyway because of what Christ has done. I acknowledge what he did for me. Greetings, everybody, and a happy new year to you. Listen, your family will never lose out by you following the Lord. So I know there's a lot of times where you're being the diligent one. You at least have a desire to know him, and the people around you do not. But when the holiday season comes, I feel as though people compromise uh, for, you know, it's family time, so not time for church today. You know, I have to go to this Christmas party. I have to do this. And you keep putting aside dealings with the Lord. What I'm saying is don't be a small thinker. There's people all the time saying I can't go to church because my son's football game is coming up. But listen. What your son needs more than you attending his football game every Sunday, you attend some, but not everyone, is a parent who is healthy, lively, and joyous. It doesn't matter if you're attending their football games or something like that and you're angry all the time, you're stressed all the time. You're only subtracting to them because then you get home and you're short with them, they feel like they can't get a word out, they're tiptoeing around mommy, and... What has your attending availed? But if you go and you sit before the Lord and you allow yourself to be ministered to, to be, for the, Lord, the word of the Lord to put you in a joyous spirit, you'll be a better parent. A whole lot of troubles in life comes by lack of joy, right? So if you want to safeguard against bad behavior, it's not rules and regulations. It's a joyous spirit. Because a lot of stuff that people are, trying, are doing is the result of trying to fill a void, an emptiness, a perpetual boredom, um, anger. This is, that's what drugs, sex, all these things in excess are. It's somebody trying to remove pain from their life. So even if you're in recovery, addiction, recovery, you're safe, you're be- the best safeguard against relapse is a joyous life. And that comes by knowing the Lord. Because the, the Lord is so impactful, right? You have friends in your life that bring you joy, that enhance your life. Well, the Lord is the life giver. Being with him impacts you. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, Hebrews eleven five elaborates on that a little bit more, so let me read. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found. Because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now the story of Enoch stumbles a lot of people. I don't want to get into 
a different theological direction this morning, but so I'm going to go to more about walking with God producing life. Man, after the fall, started dying. And so that's what you're getting, basically, a genealogy of birth to death. Except Enoch lives. He's taken up into heaven before he dies. And so it's, it's telling you something. Men are dying, but Enoch lives. And it says he walked with God. But Hebrews elaborates on it. And it's the hidden message of all things glorious, of when all things turn successful. So you might read something right in the Bible where it says, where Moses did this, and or Abraham did this. And you think that it's all in the doing part. But that's why Hebrews 11 is so beautiful. Because it adds the hidden hidden ingredient that you might not have seen. So Genesis tells you Enoch walked with God. But Hebrews 11 tells you what? Enoch walked by faith with God. Keyword by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that's the hidden recipe. It's not in your doing. Anything you do in faith, it will be far more successful than you doing everything without faith. Amen. So walk there is just described as a companionship with the Lord, an intimacy with the Lord. And how did he do it? He had to do it by faith. The Christian life, God has made it supernaturally natural. Anything that is natural, you are more prone to do it frequently. So God embedded the secret of success to him into natural elements that man can actually do. And he only will see that these simple things are powerful if he does them by faith. So the Christian walk is a walk. The Christian life is a walking faith. What's more natural than walking? You can walk pretty well, can't you? It doesn't take much effort on your behalf. So God wants you, when you wake up in the morning, to live a life with him. You think of it like that. You don't think of it in this piousness that it's like, I must get up and devote this, 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 and this, and you plan on doing A, B, C, D. You know, I got to pray for Sister Shelly at 2 p.m. I got to go to the food kitchen at 3 p.m. to volunteer. I got to make sure I do... It's unnatural. People, I can't imagine how many hundreds of prayer lists are across the country that are not being fulfilled every week. People sign up to do the pray, prayer at 10 p.m. and never do it. Because it's not natural. It's not a natural rhythm. No one has a clock of when to pray. That's too, di, di, uh, that has too much of a level of degree of difficulty. Right? But when you are friends with someone... You wind up doing everything they want to do. You wind up going to the... They like the library, you go to the library. They like movies, you go to movies. They like going out to eat, you go out to eat. You don't have to wake up and say, What is this person's will that I thou shalt do if, today if, praise the Lord if. Right? You don't wake up and got to do that. You don't got to wake up and pray like King James Bible. You just go hang out with them. Likewise, people are waking up. Trying to use a strategy instead of walking with the person. You got to walk with the person. And you'll do what they want you to do. So God has removed that level of difficulty. That comes from the law. Where man, where God's presence isn't up front. It's tucked away in the inner sanctum of the uh, tabernacle of Moses. In Solomon's temple. Where only the prophets can know him. 
only Moses can know him. No, it's freely given companionship today. So the level of difficulty is gone. So Enoch walked with God and he lived by faith. So you might think, well, I don't have what I need to begin whatever the journey is, right? I want to start a business. I want to start friendship. I want to get new friendships. I want to stop overeating. Listen, you can start doing it by faith. This precedent of a walking faith that produces life, not by your own efforts, but because God produces it, starts off immediately in Scripture. Then we find ourselves with Abraham. Now, Abraham, he is the reference for our faith in the Bible. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, meaning he is the source of it. He's the energizer of it. He takes care of it. His job is to attend to your faith. He says, when Peter was going to deny him, he says, but Peter, I prayed to you that you prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. That's an example of the perfecter of faith attending to your faith. But Abraham is the mold of our faith. He's the reference of it. He's, he holds the ancient keys to it. Because he, more than any person in Bible, the new covenant man is called as Abraham. Abraham the believer. So if you want to know what's required for you, the Christian life today, it's not the disciples even though they play a key part, even though there is truths there, the main, I'm talking about emphasis, the main one is Abraham, the father of all who what? Believe. He's the blueprint of a believing life. And what is a believing life? A pleasing God life. It says that it, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Abraham is the believer. That means he always pleases God. So we talk about justification by faith. The preeminence of faith, believing in God's grace, you shall not walk in sin. You shall not walk in abundance of sin because it's the pleasing to God life. And what was Abraham? He was born 400 years before the law was given. Where there is no law of Moses, there is faith. Because where there is justification, there is faith. Where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is faith. Where there is not the forgiveness of sins, there is not faith. A lot of people are wondering why they can't believe. I guarantee, I guarantee you this correlation. For those who believe in God, meaning they believe that he is the one he sent Jesus Christ to die for their sins. But they don't have a faith that can save them. They never have like a faith that seems to grab hold of God, God's promises. I guarantee you there's a correlation with how they believe about how their sins are forgiven. I guarantee it. You say, well, no, people believe in God's grace. People believe in God's grace too much. That, there's nothing more erroneous than that. Grace is unnatural. God's freely given grace is unnatural in a world where nothing is given free. It's not, it is opposed to our, our natural state in every way. So nobody just believes it just off the strength. It's something you need to hear all the time. So you say, well, this person, they go out and commit adultery and they keep coming back saying God's grace. You don't know what somebody believes about God's grace just because they said something. You see, we're judging by experiences and not by the truth. So we'll see somebody and they talk a good game, they talk this, and you and when they fail, you use that as an example to say that you see, you need to add more to your faith. You need to add works to your faith. Something like that. When you don't know what's in somebody's heart. There's people who sit quietly and they're full of robust faith. They're full of understanding of the grace of God. 
They get it. They get the payment that Christ made. But they're quiet. But they're walking in holiness. But then you see somebody else who they talk about it. They're full of passion. Talk about God's grace, but yet they keep falling short. And then you use that, you allow that to rewrite your assessment of if grace is good enough. Listen, the Bible says grace is good enough. It doesn't matter about somebody's experience. Don't be small-minded. The Bible says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. What does that mean, dominion? It means rule over you, kingship over you. So the verse up to that point is saying, sin shall not rule over you. Who wants that? We all want that, don't we? For you. So now it's telling you because, right? For me is because. So sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you are not under law, but under grace. What is law? Demand system, regulation system, restriction system. But notice that it never says that there. Sin does not have dominion over you. That is totally opposite of our way of thinking. We think if you don't want somebody to do something, you tell them no. You tell them don't do it. But the Apostle Paul's writing in Romans 5 verse 5 that all the ability to live above sin is belonging to what? Grace. The unmerited favor of God. And grace is not empowerment. Grace produces empowerment. People get too anxious. You make them nervous when you start talking about God's grace too much. They think like, well, well you got to tell people to live holy. And they say, no, grace is empowerment. It's not just unmerited favor. Wrong answer. Grace is, is unmerited favor. It produces empowerment. Sobriety is not using drugs or alcohol. And it has the chance to produce a new life. It has the chance to produce um, good parenting. Being able to hold a job, joy, but that's not what it is. So actually, grace is the one thing that you diminish the potency of its definition the moment you start talking about empowerment. You get you 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 de-radicalize something that's meant to be radical. Grace is very radical. It is as intense as it sounds. You tell me you did you do whatever and God forgives you because Christ died on the cross. Yes, but what we're saying is when you have that. Yes, in your heart. That, yes, that broad, extreme level of radicalness in your heart, it will then do its second part, which means the productivity of holiness. It will produce a holy life. But you cannot diminish the first definition and expect people to have the second part. That's the definition of abuse, right? It means abnormal use. It means to use something outside of its function. So somebody doesn't get that. No, grace is right now for you, beloved who has fallen short. If you believe on our Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven you. God sees you as it is written in Daniel. It says Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were princes of Judah, children without blemish. God sees you blemishless. Amen. And when you see that, then function takes place. But you must see that first part. So Abraham was given a, the land of Israel by faith. He was given a seed, meaning a son, to inherit all his possessions by faith. His body became alive to produce children by faith. His family will bless the entire world by faith. It's like God exploded in Abraham's life, isn't it? And that's what we so desperately want. 
You want God to explode in your life. You feel like you see other people and he's exploding in their life. If you want God to explode in your life, then you must do what Abraham did. And that's walk by faith, justify. It says Abraham was credited righteousness by faith. God, ex- God was easily able to explode in Abraham's life because Abraham was righteous. There's a scripture, it says something like, it's an abomination to judge the innocent and it's an abomination for the guilty to go free. So what is it telling you there? It's telling you God has perfect justice. He is quite mindful of wickedness and righteousness. And as much as he punishes wickedness, he blesses righteousness. God has a solid foundation to bless righteousness. So it was no problem for God to see righteous Abraham and to bless him. And how was Abraham righteous? By faith. Which anyone anyone can do right now. It's available to everyone. It's the simplicity of it that stumbles people. I'm telling you right now, you can change your life. God can explode in your life if you look to Jesus. Simple look. In all your confusedness, all your weakness, if you simply look, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. I guarantee you, your life changes. Don't stumble by the simpleness of direction. So Abraham receives all of that by faith. He's God's covenant man. He's the man of promise. He's the man of weakness turned to strength. Meaning he couldn't have children, but when God breathed on him, his body, his old body, 100 years old, was given strength like a young man to conceive. He's a picture of all that. So, and that's who the Bible equates you to. So you should be conscious of saying the blessings of Abraham come on me. The blessings of Abraham follow me. Because it's the blessings that come on a man justified by faith. Like Enoch, who didn't taste death. Are you getting the picture now? You overwhelm God with faith. You make him ecstatic. It's like God can't help but compound the blessings on you. He can't help but command the blessings on you. Jeremiah chapter 11. Now, Jeremiah was the people of Israel had forsaken all God's law because they were under the old covenant of Moses. And they had done all types of detestable things. And God tells Jeremiah, don't pray for these people because I will not change my mind. I will surely judge them. And you know what God says? He says, may all the words of the covenant come on them. Now, you'll notice that some Bibles will translate, I don't have the verse directly in front of me, but they will translate all the words of the covenant to all the curses of the covenant. Because the old, the old covenant, it, it demanded perfection, so it cursed. But it, if you look at the Hebrew, it doesn't say all the curses of the covenant come on them. No, it literally says, God says, the bar, let all the words of this covenant come on them. You have to understand, God's words mean power. God's words mean it's done. So just how the covenant, the old covenant had words and it was curses. The new covenant has words, but it's blessings. It's all blessings. And what happened? They broke the covenant. So they activated it. So you must know the rules of the covenant, right? So what's the rules of the new covenant? Faith. 
When you do that, you activate it. You activate the new covenant by faith. And what happens? All the words of it come on you. All the words of all his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All that comes on you when you activate the covenant by faith. As Enoch walked with God and Abraham, God wants to give you insight to what walking with him looks like. And it's different. It's easier than what you think. This is going to bless you so much. We're going to build up to this point at the end. So just follow along. Follow me. Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you will see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Say, I will give to you. The emblem, the characteristic of the spiritual man is the life where God gives you. The emblem is not a man of no sin. There is no such man. It says we don't live to sin. It says we're not no longer because of what Christ done, a slave to sin. But it never says you do, you will not sin anymore. It never says that. It says you will not be a slave to it, meaning the majority of your life is a holy life. Verse 15, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Beloved, I perceive you're going to have to make tough choices this year. If you heard the first, if you heard the first verse, verse, it says, Abram had to separate from Lot. I perceive that you're going to make some tough choices this year. Now, let me tell you who Lot is. Lot is Abraham's nephew, the son of his brother Haran, and his brother Haran died. And Abram and Lot, along with Sarai, his wife, lived under Abram's father's roof, whose name was, Ter- whose name was Terah. So Abram lived with his nephew Lot, and he, Abram has no son, and Lot has no, no father. So I believe there was a bond there, a, a deep bond. Because out of all the dear persons Abram might have had in his life, he only brought one man with him when he left his home country, and that was Lot. So there was a connection there. There was a, a, a love there. Abram probably viewed Lot like his son and Lot like his father. Abram like his father. But it says that before they separated, they were both shepherds. So the land wasn't enough where they were at for both of them to eat. Right? It wasn't enough for both of their flocks to graze. It says their servants started fighting. Now think of this. Abram has promised the whole entire land. And now all he can see is that the place of land that he has isn't even enough for him and his nephew to have sheep and goats. Kind of ironic, right? He's told that his descendants will possess this land and he can't even share it with his nephew. So what happens is, Lot, Abram tells Lot, you know what, you get to pick, pick anywhere in this land and you go live there and I will live somewhere else so we don't get bitter towards one another. So Abram didn't want the relationship to go sour. Listen, he did the wise thing. If when you are aware of the wise thing to do, beloved, do it. Do it. Don't wait for them to do it. Because you never know if Lot would have came up with this remedy. Lot might have been content and they would have ran into a brick wall and ruined the relationship. 
So when you have the wisdom, you make sure you do it. You make the call. That other person may never have the, the wisdom to see it. So it says, Lot did that. He looked across the land. He said he seen a place that looked like the Garden of the Lord in the east of the Jordan River, meaning outside of the promised land, outside of the place God sent Abraham to go. And it says he looked with his eyes. Beloved, your eyes, if not directed by the Lord, are the most dangerous thing you have. The most dangerous. Lot's eyes would take him to where? Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the place that he thought was the garden of the Lord. And their wickedness was so intense, God had to destroy it. So his eyes led him into a town of destruction. Don't go by sight. Go by the window of your of faith in your heart. So Abram, he's going to have to look at this situation full of faith because he can't. the land is supposed to be his, but he can't even share it with his nephew. So that's where we picked up off where it says, after Lot separated from Abraham, the Lord said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. So the Lord shows up and says, lift up your eyes. Now I imagine Abram was solemn. He was, he was grieved because, again, this is the nephew that he loved. They had to separate. So I can see his head drooping a little bit. And the Lord approaches him and says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Oh, this is going to bless you, friends. 2017 might have been a year for you that has left you with your eyes looking down from disappointment. But let 2018, you must hear God say, lift up your eyes so you can consume all the surprises, the wonderful surprises he has in store for you. So the Lord says, Abraham, look everywhere. All of this I will give to you and your offspring forever. So Abram went from not being able to share his plot of land with his nephew to thinking his nephew will pick one spot and he has to pick another to the Lord saying, no, I'm going to give you all this land. You thought you was going to have to divvy it up? I'm going to give it all to you and your offspring forever. Beloved, change is not as dangerous as we think it is. Abram had no clue the Lord was going to approach him like that in that moment of disappointment, probably a moment of confusion and strife. And the Lord says, no, 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 my plans far exceed yours, Abraham. I'm still going to give you all this land, actually as far as your eyes can see. So he had to look, look, lift up his eyes. Amen. And again, was these the eyes of his physical sight? No. This is not the eyes of his physical sight that he can literally see everywhere at that moment. No, it's like the moment you stand on a cruise ship or on the beach and you see the, the, the enormous size of the ocean. You can't see the whole ocean, but you get the enormous nature of it by looking. That's what God wanted Abraham to do. No, he wanted him to see his promises, see that he was aware of what's going on. We have a good God because he's aware of, of who you are. He knows we need comforting and, dis and um, love when we're discouraged. So Abram lost Lot's presence, but he received the, the, the presence of the Lord himself. And how did Abraham look? He had to look with the eyes of his heart, right? Because again, no way he could have seen all that land with his physical eyes. Lot judged by his physical eyes, and he ended up in a town destined for destruction. Abram looked through the eyes of his heart. And what does it say by the end of that chapter? It says, Abraham rested in Israel. 
under the great tree of Mamre. Abram sees with the eyes of his heart, and he rests in the promised land. 2017, you felt like you were lost. You felt like you were fumbling in the dark, and you couldn't really figure out what God wanted you to do. You felt split between, you felt split between two places, two things, two anything, right? That's when it's the hardest. Not the hardest when it's a good, it's a it's a good choice versus a bad choice. It's harder to discern when you are in the midst of good choices. So maybe that's how you felt in 2017. You want clarity this year. Amen. I pray and believe that this, what I'm about to say, will give you clarity to walk with the Lord. Because that's what we're talking about. Enoch walked with God and lived. Abram walked with God and possessed. So walking with God means living. It means life. And it means possessing. People always are trying to figure out what the Lord will have them do by mechanics, by strategy, by figuring out where God wants them to walk. So, for example, God wants me to go to Walmart and bless this person with a gift. Or God wants me to start a church. God wants me to change jobs. But you're looking at it through the way of what step do I take? How do I do it? You're worried about the how. But you're... Your first job is not the how. Your first job is the faith part because that's God's way. Notice he tells Abram, look around at everything. I'm going to give it to you. And then the last verse, verse 17, Genesis chapter 13, verse 17. He says, arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. He says, walk through it after he says, look. After he says, look. So if you're looking for God to talk to you, what pictures has he put in your heart? What is your heart looking at first? That is where God leads. Amen. We talked about last week that in Genesis, I'm I'm sorry, Psalms um, 92, David says, I will see the defeat of my enemies. I will hear the rout of my foes. David seen it through the eye of faith in his heart, through the feet of his enemies. The Bible itself says David was a man of war. He was in constant war. He was in contrast to his son Solomon, who didn't know any wars until the end. So you think David seen that naturally? No, he seen it through the eyes of his heart. Even in the midst of war, he's seen a finished work. So God tells Abraham, look around first. See it in your heart. And we talked about that you're not supposed to wait till you actually see it. No, if you want friends, see yourself having friends in your heart first. If you want this new job, see yourself having it in your heart first. Embrace it now. If you want to lose weight, see yourself in a body shape that you're comfortable with. In a weight that you're comfortable with. See yourself wearing that dress you've been wanting to wear. Visualize it first. That's God's way. Then after that, it's a rise and walk. Literally, stand up and go. But you must see it first. This is God's method. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How simple is that? It breaks it down so simple. So, right, I'm starting in Cloud Witness Church. I'm doing walking. I'm doing this. I'm walking, right? I'm doing the steps. But I've seen it in my heart already. I've been seeing it. I've had a picture of the cloud, cloud witness being a a cloud of glory spreading the good news of Christ. 
Amen. You'll notice that's how God talks to you. And he reassures you the promises that way. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Amen. So God says, Abram, you and your offsprings, I will give this land forever. Now we talked about Lot left. And I'm quite convinced Abram believed in Lot as his heir, as the one who inherited his things. How do we know? Because Abram in Genesis chapter 15, verse 2 says, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abram's like, I'm supposed to have an a, a, a heir, yet my only heir is a servant in my house. I don't think Abram would have said that if Lot was still there. Lot, he would have given his inheritance to. But listen, this all is after Lot separates from him. So change is not as crazy as you think it is, because God is good. God is good. And he's working his purposes out in a mystery before you. But his ways are in a straight line. So you can be thinking, well, dang, if I lose this person, I lose this thing that I'm losing out. No, 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 friend. Don't think because you have lost something that you have lost out. Because Abram, yes, he lost that direct nearness with his nephew. But then he received bigger promises, more promises, that he would have his own son. What was better for Abraham than just having a nephew? His own son. With the wife that he loves. So, no, no, no. 2018 is different than 2017. You think that you're losing something, but you have not lost out, friends. You have not lost out. Once you get that, it brings you into rest. And it only makes your faith eye bigger in your heart. You only, it only makes it larger when you see God come through like that. Amen. Because we know the end of the story. Abram would have his own son. But Abram didn't know any of this. He didn't know Isaac yet in the flesh. But he's seen Isaac in his heart. He's seen him already. Lot's eyes was directed by himself and it was the most dangerous thing he ever had. Abram's eyes, the eyes of his faith was directed by the Lord and it led to life. It leads to life. Moses in Numbers chapter 21, verse 8 through 9 then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a stander. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Eyes directed by the Lord. The people were bitten by poisonous snakes. And God sends the deliverer of Moses. He sends the word of how they were to be saved. Listen, Jesus' name means God save. Because saving is God's idea. It's not yours. It's not yours. God, right? Jesus is the ultimate representation of him. It's like he had any name to pick from. He could have put, Jesus' name could mean Daniel, which is God is my judge. His name could be like Deborah to mean word. Or Atnil, Lion of God. But his name means God is my savior. Emphasis, God is placing on his saving grace, his saving power. 
So God says, lift up the snake and anyone who looks to it will live. Two big words there, anyone. Anyone is a huge word in the Bible. It's like mist. It appears to be small, but it's very large. You know how large anyone is? If I went, if we had a restaurant. It was a world-class restaurant. And they put out a sign on the window, anyone may come in and eat. A thousand people would be in that restaurant. Because anyone is a big word. It's so free. So you must hear God's anyone. And he says, anyone, meaning yes, you, my friend. Yes, you listening to this. Anyone who looks will live. Simplicity, eyes directed by the Lord. And it led to life. Abram, God says, look around and see. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's God's way. You might always be thinking, how can I do more? What's the next move? How do I do the next move? Listen, make sure you're beholding Jesus. I promise you, it'll lead to everything else. Make sure you're looking. Don't be so concerned with the movement of your hands that you're not looking at the Lord, like Martha and Mary. Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen a good part. Martha, it says, was distracted with serving Jesus. It sounds like a good thing. But Mary was consumed with seeing Jesus. Notice one person is called distracted, the other is not. You can be doing things for the Lord all around the Lord's name, but you are so distracted that he's even there. You're so distracted that he is the one who gives. He is the powerful one, the unchangeable one. But when you behold, you are consumed with his beauty, with his presence. You know who see things in their heart? Children. Have you ever been around a, have you been around a child lately? They, are, they naturally use the window of their heart to see. A child does not live by their physical sight, nowhere near as much as they live by the eyes of their heart. I was seen on Twitter this video of this family giving their son, uh, like playing a joke, giving their son a banana for Christmas. He was like two years old. But he grabbed this banana, he jumped around, just kept saying, oh my gosh, I have a banana. Like he was so filled with joy. He was so happy about this banana. You know why? Because they looked through the eyes of their heart. And they travel, they're traveling everywhere. They see themselves being the astronaut already. They see themselves being the firefighter already. They see themselves being the, uh, you know, the, the doctor already in their heart. So are you tired lately? I, I want to ask you, where has your heart been? Has your heart done any traveling? You say, no, I haven't traveled anywhere. No, has your heart done any traveling? Do you see yourself doing it? Is your heart gripped on hope somewhere that the Lord comes through? You know, live like a child. Jesus always instructed his people to live like children. Matthew 18, verses 2 through 4. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. Midst, big word. And said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the, is the greatness, greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know how I've said before, midst is a big word. It means center of attention, center of attention. So Jesus brings the child in the midst of his disciples, and he ends off saying, whoever humbles himself like this child is great in the eyes of God. You see how midst is even explained by the end of Jesus' words? And he was talking to grown men and women. You see, Jesus is quite informed that we don't behave like children, nor do we see the worthiness in doing so. We see, we, we, uh, 
we hold children in contempt. We view them as not mature, not smart, um, clumsy. We hold them in contempt. But anyone that's a parent knows that you can learn from children. I've heard too many parents say that. You can learn from children. And in this area, relationship with God, Jesus is saying they have more insight. They are sharper than you are. They understand more than you. So he talked to them as if they didn't know that they should behave like children because they didn't. So he told them what to do. Because what? A child is not confined by what he physically sees as possible. You can tell a child the moon is made out of cheese. He, so he never seen a cheese moon. He doesn't live by his eyesight. Lives by the window of his heart. Children spend more time imagining than they do physically seeing something. And another thing, they're humble and, and of simple ways. They, they're not against receiving. They find that essential to life. You see, we don't want to receive. No, I'm going to give God all my heart. I want to give God. I want to do the thing for God. That's your problem. You don't have a receiving heart. You don't know how to say thank you. Are you one of those people that can't take a compliment? Or receive a gift well. You always want to, no, 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 let me give something to you. No, no, no. God, with him, he wants you to receive. When it comes to everyone else, it's better to give than to receive. That means human interaction. But human to God interaction is it's greater to receive. That's why Jesus says, become like this child. And he says, literally, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children. Turn in the Greek there is, literally means transition. So Jesus is saying, unless you transition from a man-like state, a woman-like state, to a child-like state before me, you cannot, it's like the promises can't flow over you. It's like you can't live that abundant fellowship life that God promised. So that's why you must transition into child-likeness, receiving eyes of your, of your heart, the imagination of your heart. Amen. I'm going to close with this. The Old Covenant, to put it quite simply, which means the law of Moses, the man system, is God on your shoulders. That's why I feel so burdensome. Unfortunately, we preach that in the church all the time, the old way. And that's why people feel so burdened. The Old Covenant, in short, is God living on your shoulders. It's all the man. Do not misuse my name in vain. Love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. These are the commandments, Ten Commandments. It's all about you doing for God. It's all about you, him on your shoulders. But the new covenant that Jesus ushered in by his blood is all God supplying you living on his shoulder. In Jeremiah, the Lord says, I will make a new covenant with them, different than the one I made with their ancestors. Keyword, different. Different than the one I made with their ancestors. No more me on their shoulders. Now they are on my shoulders. I carry them. I deliver them. That's why Jesus tells parables about the good shepherd who finds the lost sheep and puts it on his shoulders rejoicing. Amen. It's all God's supply. Old covenant, you find God in the intensity of his demand. New covenant, you find God in the extravagance of his supply. And he says, why is there a new covenant? He says, because I will forgive their sins and remember their lawless deeds no more. Justify it like Abraham. All The whole reason you can sit on God's shoulders today is because your sins have been forgiven you. He no longer remembers your lawless deeds. 
That's why you can be on His shoulders. Amen. What a hope we have, beloved. What a hope we have. I close with this. That the temple, God's temple that Solomon built was like the tabernacle of Moses. Same design, but upgraded version. Moses was a tent. Solomon, the gold pillars. You see, Moses is tent. New covenant, a picture of Solomon, is gold pillars. It's pomegranates and palm trees embroidered in gold all over. And you know what happens? They have the same model though. And this is going to close with why you can walk into a, why you can walk in a straight line. When you come into the temple courtyard, right? You come in through a gate, a door. And when you look straight, dead ahead of you is the Holy of Holies. So for a sinner to come in and get all the way to the Holy Holies, Holy of Holies is very straightforward. All you have to do is come in through the door and walk straight. There is no other door. You remember Jesus told the, told the people, I am the door of the sheep. There is no other door but me. Those who try to get in another way are thieves and robbers. Jesus also had in his mind the picture of the temple. He knows that. The Lord knows that since he gave the design of it, that it's a straight line. You walk in through the front and you just, for you to go all the way to the holiest of holies where God's presence is, you only needed to walk straight. Imagine that, a sinner, the farthest thing from holy to holies. He's as, but he's as close enough to it as a straight line. But you know what the difference was under the old covenant? There was a veil. So no one could see the holy holies, even though it was a straight line. The temple was a one room place. It just consisted of a room, one big room and an inner room behind a veil. So even though you walk straight, you couldn't get there. But it is written, hallelujah. This is why you can expect the Lord's straight line, beloved. Matthew 27, verses 50 through 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split. No more veil. When Jesus died on the cross and his body was ripped, the veil was ripped. So now a sinner can see directly into the grace of God. No veil. And it's straightforward. It's a straight line. Isn't that what we want in life? You don't want complication. We talked about earlier, Abram and Lot. Abram had tough choices. He would have loved the straight, but God's faithfulness was a straight line. He approaches Abram and says, lift up thy eyes. I know Lot has just left, but I promise not only will you have all this land, but you will have offsprings to inherit it. What I'm saying is, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth in Greek is aletia. And another a description of that is straightforward. Jesus says, I'm the straightforward image of God. No complications, very direct. The reason why you can expect 2018, you can expect shakiness in all areas of life, but with God, it's a straight line. And a straight line meaning we go from grace to grace, from supply to supply, from his love to more of his love. Because the veil has been torn. Jude Justice has been served, sin punished, the sinner saved. Walking with God, Enoch lived, Abraham possessed. Walking, now you can stare right into the grace of God. God goes from straight to straight. Yeah, your life might have roller coasters, 
but God is straightforward. What you need to be expecting is grace, receiving. Romans 5, 17. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Know the benefits of the covenant afforded to you, beloved. God will never judge you for your sins. You say, no, well, God, he's a holy God. He has to judge sin. Yes, he has done that in the body of Jesus Christ. So God now will never deal with you as judge, only father. The, ju the justice side of it has been met. Now, let me tell you about that. So somebody says, what? well, you think we can just sin and get away with it? God won't be mocked. You reap what you sow. That's an erroneous interpretation of that verse. Anyway, but no, what I'm saying is God will not drag you to the courthouse. You have family members, right? Do they take you to court when there's a dispute? No. Do they call the cops on you when there's a dispute? No. Likewise, when you, the father doesn't bring you into righteous court anymore. He's, Jesus is sitting there in his righteous court for you. Of course, God deals with your behavior, but not like under the law where God operated as judge. No, now he deals with your behaviors by father. That's why Jesus said, pray like this, our father. He only, the measure of his dealing is never beyond as a father. So listen, beloved, don't self-punish. God doesn't want you self-punishing. We have an epidemic of that. That's pride, man. It's not humble to punish yourself. Humility is, I don't deserve this, but I receive it anyway because of what Christ has done. I acknowledge what he did for me. That's why, because sin has been taken care of, that's why you can expect only God for you to, him to deal with you from grace to grace, love to love. A straight line, no complication. Amen. This year, walk with the Lord and reign, beloved. Walk with the Lord, live and possess the promises God has for you. And use your imagination. See through the eyes of your heart. That's before Abraham was ever told to walk the land. He was told to see it. He was told to see it. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. May he keep you and your family from tragedies or diseases. May he continue to reveal his glory to you. And even in this year, in the middle of tough choices, God always provides a way of an escape. He always will reaffirm himself to you through his promises. So when trouble is rising, when tough decisions is rising, like Lot even leaving Abraham, that's when you need to open your ears the most because God is about to speak to you. He uses disappointments of the earth to show his heavenly reliability. He uses the moments of our confusion to show the unchangeableness of his promises. Much love. Have an amazing 2018. We'll talk about it more in the coming weeks.